0: You know, when uh, when someone speaks in church, we all need to be alert to the probability that God is wanting to say something to us. We can usually tell if he's speaking, if we're riveted to our seed and are clinging to every word. But it can also be a sign if we get angry, feel threatened. I think we rarely agree with everything a speaker has to say. We can chew the meat, spit out the bones, so to say. But if you feel threatened by what a person is saying, that's another issue. God may be putting His finger on a stronghold in your life. What a person shares with his church is never meant to be just information because usually they've sought the Lord as to what He wants to share with His people. In this place, at this time, when a gift to the church at large, and I'm talking about a recognized apostle or an evangelist or a, a prophet or a pastor teacher, if one of those is speaking, we need to expect to hear a word from the Lord from them. But the same thing is true when one of our elders speak. Whether it's John or Phil or Bobby. And they have been speaking to our church since the beginning of this new year and this new decade. Um, I want to ask, has anything that they've taught impacted you? I'm not going to ask you to Remember any of the details right now, but I took some notes and I want to summarize a few points because what they shared really has set up what I'm sharing this morning, even though we didn't talk about any of that. Phil spoke three times and he named his sermons 2020 Visions Part 1, 2, and 3. In them, he asked, where are we? And what will we turn out to be? He proclaimed, it's a new day. Embrace it. He reminded us that we are Abraham's descendants. And that in the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews tells us that Abraham was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. That's Hebrews 11.10. So he said, we must be looking for that city as well. And that reference was prophetic because um, the title of my message today is The Essential foundation. Phil told us that new wine always requires new wine skins, but it's man's tendency to resist change. He stated that any time we seek self-preservation, we are operating in the flesh. These are big statements. Yeah. Phil taught on the Tower of Babel and proclaimed that anytime time we try to build a tower around a truth... With man-made bricks and mortar, we're in a dangerous place. Another profound statement. God is seeking a city that He Himself can be the architect and the builder of, but He wants it made of living stones, not bricks. That He Himself is notching to fit perfectly where He has placed them. Well, that. like that... that, that. Image, And he asked us once again, are we seeking that city? Phil told us we're either a wanderer or a pilgrim. And he asked, do we know where we're going? His prayer was for us open our eyes, Lord, that we can see you. And see our place in what you're wanting to build. I got now. No, this this is these are, this is big stuff. Uh, I, it really is. Two weeks ago, he challenged us to be on the alert. He reminded us that each day is a gift from our heavenly Father, and that each day can be a strategic day in our lives. He proclaimed. That God is calling our names individually this very day. And then He led us in the course. Open our eyes, Lord. I want to see Jesus. When Bobby spoke, He stated that 2020 vision must be peripheral. He reminded each of us that we've been chosen by God to be an instrument of His will. He stated that God still speaks today and He wants to speak through each of us. And He challenged us to be open and to be obedient to God's impressions because God wants to lead us. He he taught that God's not asking us to bring anything to the table, but to come just as we are. But we are to come expecting God to supply all that we need. Then to model what he was saying in obedience to what God had told him to do, Bobby walked through the auditorium and spoke words of encouragement from the Lord to those present. That was a hard thing for him to obey. God told him to do it because many people were not comfortable with what he was doing. It wasn't the usual order of service that morning. But Bobby was obedient, and he may not know until he gets to heaven what word the Lord led him to speak over someone that has impacted the kingdom of God for all eternity. And I believe there were some. Because I know they've been spoken to me. And the person that spoke them didn't know it. Bobby left us with a question that morning. Do you know him? Last Sunday, Bobby spoke out of Deuteronomy 29.29, which says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and our children forever. Then he began to point out some of the things that have been revealed to us in these days. Bobby said that he believes we're living in the last days. I heard that in the 1960s as well. But, regardless of when Jesus may come back, He said, these are definitely the last days for some of us. I turned 73 three weeks ago. And I know that's true for me. (laughs) I am excited to be alive during this time in history. And I believe, like Queen Esther, that I was born for such a time as this. Bobby reminded us that we have the Spirit of God living inside of us and that the role of the Holy Spirit is to reveal, to reveal Jesus to us. The Spirit wants to open our eyes and our ears so we can see what God is doing through Christ in us and hear what He is saying. We can see, listen, and obey Him, Bobby said, because we know Him and know we can trust His love. He said, Wherever you're going, God is already there. And God will go with you and show you the things that are of Him. God is simply saying, Come walk with me. Then Bobby challenged each of us to let others see Jesus in you. A song he sang at his dad's funeral. So. That brings us to this Sunday. I'm not an elder in this church, and I have asked not to be considered for that position. I'm not recognized as a gift to the church at large, as a teacher, and I'm not hoping to be. But I am a committed member of this body of believers, and I believe the Lord has given me a message to share with you this morning that's very important. So before we go any further, let's pray. I want to ask the Lord to speak to us during this time. Lord, thank you for this church. Thank you for the impact it has had on this community. Thank you for the privilege of walking together with you. And Lord, I thank you for this time in history when we have the privilege of, be being instruments of your kingdom purposes. Lord, I ask that you would give us ears to hear what your Spirit would say to us as individuals and as a church this morning. I ask for an anointing of your Spirit to bring forth what's of you, to keep back anything that's not, and to give us the ability to uh, recognize what you're saying and how it relates to us. I ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I want to talk to you this morning about the Church of Jesus Christ. We've been studying that subject in our Wednesday morning Bible study group for a little over four months now. Probably doing it for a little more than four years. Because it's a big subject. But in the next 30 minutes, I want to summarize you some of the things we've been seeing. And if you have a Bible, would you turn your Bible to uh, Matthew 16, verse uh, 13. And I'm going to be reading from the New American Standard Bible, which has been my study Bible for most of my life. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Son of Man is a term Jesus used to refer to himself. We know He was the Son of God, but He was also the Son of Man. And the difference between those two would be a good sermon sometime. But not right now. He said, and the the disciples said, some say John the Baptist, come back to life. Others, Elijah. Still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you're the Christ. The Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, or son of Jonah, because flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades were not overpowered, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whenever you bind on earth shall I have been bound in heaven. And whenever you loose on earth shall I have been loosed in heaven. Then he warned his disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ or the Messiah. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised on the third day. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. And he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interest, but on man's. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he loses the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then will repay each man according to his deeds. Truly I say to you, there are some of of you who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now, Six days later, Peter, James, and John went with Jesus up to a mountain nearby, and they saw the glorified Christ talking with Moses and Elijah. But let's look at this passage. This is the first time in the New Testament that the word church is mentioned, and it's only one of two times that Jesus ever refers to it. Cesarea Philippi was an area where... Where the, the roots, the, the, the base of, of the river Jordan comes out out of an underground cave, and it was a place of a lot of religious activity, a lot of heathen shrines were around it. The Romans made it an area where they came and worshiped their gods. And as, as, as Jesus and his disciples walked in that area, you could see these things all around, and so he says to them, uh, "Who do people say that I am?" They gave him a few things that had hurt. You know, this is, you know. But then he says, "Well, who do you say that I am? And boy, this is an important question for all of us. Because I think sometimes we don't, we haven't even touched the tip of the iceberg in terms of who he is. Who he is in us. And who we are in him. And Peter says, you are the Christ. The son of the living God. And Jesus got excited. He says, blessed are you, Simon, you know, son of Jonah or son of John. Because flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Now I want to ask you, why did Jesus get so excited? Is it because Peter realized he was the promised Messiah? Was it? Because he confessed that God was alive and living? Was it because he got a revelation? Or was it because Jesus recognized that this revelation came from the Father? That was it. Jesus is seeing, maybe for the first time, that his Father in the heavenly realm. Is doing in one of his disciples the same thing he has always done in his life. He's revealing himself, and Jesus is excited. Now, I I believe that's the proper reason because of uh, a verse that comes in a few minutes. I'll refer to that, but let me just say this is how Jesus lived his life. John five nineteen. Jesus explains the son can do nothing of himself unless it's something he sees the father doing for whatever the father does these things the son does in like manner for the father loves the son and shows him all the things that he himself is doing and the father is showing even greater works than these so that you can you will marvel and then in John 12:49 talking again he says I did not speak on my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me commandment as to what to say and what to speak. Later, after his resurrection, Jesus appeared to his disciples and he told them, Peace be with you. This is in John twenty twenty one. if you want to write down the reference. Peace be to you as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. And then the next verse, he adds, verse 22, receive the Holy Spirit, because we must all depend on him. Now, back to our passage. Jesus goes on in his assignment. He says to Simon, he says, you are Peter. And the Greek word is petros, which means a small stone. But then he, he changes The nouns, he says, and upon this rock, Petra, which is a bedrock like the rock of Gibraltar, on this foundational stone, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades, or the place of the dead, will not overpower it or prevail against it. Jesus calls the church His church. And he says that he will build it. I like that. But what is the bedrock that he's talking about that would be the foundation of the building? Is it Simon Peter, the man? Roman Catholic Church teaches that. But I don't think so, because in just a few minutes he calls Peter Satan. (laughs) Satan. And uh, I'm not sure how you can connect those two. Now, the foundation of the church on which Jesus wants to build is the active revelation from our living God the Father. I think it becomes clear when we do read verse 19. Matthew 16:19 says he says to Peter I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven But just look at this verse in the amplified In the amplified Bible it reads this way I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind that is declared to be improper and unlawful on earth must be already bound in heaven And whatever you loose on earth, declare lawful, must be what is already loosed in heaven. Now, you can check out for a minute if you want to, but I will explain this. Those of you that are English majors would appreciate it. The, The verbs that are used in the second half of each statement are in the future perfect passive. Now, you can say, thanks for telling me that. You know, the future perfect passive tense, and they describe things in a state of having already been done. This tense is used to talk about actions or events that will be finished by a certain moment in the future. When you use this tense, we are projecting ourselves forward into the future and looking back at an action that will be completed sometime later than now. I'll give you an example. Here's an example. Don't worry. All the work will have been done by 4 o'clock. Will have been done is in the future perfect passage. Or, we're running late. By the time we arrive at the stadium, the game will have been finished. Or, hey, all guests, all guests will have been brought to the event. Before it starts. With this understanding, and it's important to have that understanding, because this verse is so misused. But with this understanding, we now must consider the question, what are the keys of the kingdom of heaven? What are things that will allow us to know already what things have been forbidden, what things have been permitted? But, but, But before we approach that question... I want to ask a question. What is the kingdom of heaven? Is it the same thing as the kingdom of God? Yes, it is. (laughs) They're not two different things. Because Matthew is the only gospel that uses the term kingdom of heaven. And And he did so because he was writing, you know, a kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of the heavenly realm. He was writing to a Jewish audience, and they are very careful and use the name of the Lord, name of God, very sparingly. So, he, because he was writing to them, he used kingdom of heaven instead of kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God, is life with God. And it begins here on earth, now. It's the realm where God's will is done. The realm where He rules as King, where what He is saying is, is 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 being spoken, where what He is doing is being accomplished, its ultimate reality, where we can experience fellowship with the Father and with His Son, as the Apostle John describes in one John one three. He's writing the letter and he says, "The reason we're writing this is because, man, we're fellowship with the Father and with the Son, and we want you to get in on it so we, you, we our joy will be complete." The Bible refers to this realm as eternal life. In his high priestly prayer in, in John seventeen three, Jesus says, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you sent. When Jesus was walking the earth, a religious leader came to see him in the middle of the night. And we read this in John 3, and said to him, God must be with you for you to be able to do the the things that you do. And Jesus answered and said, basically, I'm living in a realm you don't know anything about. You must be born from above in order to see that realm. And you must be born of water, a natural birth, and the spirit, a spiritual birth, in order to enter it. And he's talking about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. Jesus told his disciples to seek first. The kingdom of God and God's righteousness, and He promised them if they did, then everything else would would be taken care of. That's a big statement. I I, I, I challenge you to go for it. Everything else just might be taken care of. I'm, I'm serious. I'm very serious. The Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy in verse. Uh, Timothy 6:12, "It encouraged him to fight the good fight of faith, and then he told him what that looked like. Second part of the verse says uh, t- tells him, "To take hold of the eternal life to which he had been called. Grab hold of it, man. That's the fight of faith. He reiterates this challenge later on in in chapter 6, in verse 19, when he wrote, Take hold of the life that really is life. Boy, I love that that little verse. Jesus told a parable. And he said that the message of the kingdom of God falls on different kinds of soil. Or different conditions of people's hearts. He said some of it falls on a heavenly trotted path, some on rocky soil, some on soil that's full of thorns. But the good soil, he said, are those who hear the word of the kingdom in an honest and good heart. Who understand it, who accept it, and who hold it fast. And he said that they will produce much fruit with perseverance. He promised that. So, back to our question. What are the keys to the kingdom of heaven? If the foundation of the church that Jesus will build is the act of revelation from our living God and Father, what things will allow us to know that revelation? That's a good question. And that's what Jesus wants us to seek. But he does give us a clue in the rest of this chapter, these verses we read, when he rebukes Peter, and he says, Peter, you're not setting your mind on God's interest, but on man's. See, we have a choice as to where we set our mind. Paul taught that the mind set on the flesh is death. But the mindset on the Holy Spirit is life and peace. That's Romans 8, 6. What is the flesh? It is the Bible uses the term. I want to tell you. Because a lot of people don't understand. Well, that's just your body. No, no, no. That's not, that's not your body. The flesh is the self-life. It's living our life out of our own resources rather than drawing upon Jesus Christ to meet our needs and to satisfy our desires. I want to repeat that because it's foundational. What is the flesh, as the Bible uses the term? It's the self-life. It's living our life out of our own resources rather than drawing upon Jesus Christ to meet our needs and to satisfy our desires. Peter warned the church in First Peter two eleven. He said, "The fleshly desire." He said, "The fleshly desires wage war against our soul." We all have flesh patterns. We all do. Let me ask you a question. Don't answer it out loud, but let me ask you a question. Do you know what your flesh patterns are? You sure need to if you don't. Just saying. You do. Or do you ought about to let them become your default behavior? That's just who I am. No, it's not in Christ. That's not who you are. That's not even close. One of the worst kinds of flesh is religious flesh. Because we don't recognize it as a problem. Paul wrote to the Galatians and he said, Walk by the Holy Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh says this desire. This is in Galatians 5, 16, and 17, if you want to look it up later. I forgot to tell you that. Walk by the He says, Walk by the Holy Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit says its desire against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. He wrote the Colossians and he said, since you've been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God set your mind on the things above not on the things on your not on the things that are on the earth for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God when Christ who is your life is revealed then you also will be revealed with him in glory do you understand this verse that I, this section I just read do you understand that i don't I don't understand all that it means, but I sure want to. But I'll tell you this, I do get that Christ is my life. I get that part of it. Uh, he's in me as my hope of glory. Christ in me is a hope of glory. Colossians one twenty seven He's the hope I have. And I do get that I'm in him. John 14:20. interesting verse. Jesus in, in John 14. Jesus is saying, "Look, the help of the Holy Spirit is coming." And, and, and he's telling his disciples, "I'm going to be leaving, but it's going to be even better after I leave because the Holy Spirit is coming, the helper." In a verse I've never heard anybody preach on, preaching on the Holy Spirit, that they need to start with. So I'm going to start with it right now. He says, on that day. On what day? The day that the Holy Spirit comes. On that day, when you receive the Holy Spirit, you will know... In fact, I made this personal. On the day that I received the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, I would know that He's in the Father, that I am in Him, and that He's in me. Now, I have received the Holy Spirit. So I'm looking to Jesus to live His life through me by His Spirit as we walk the earth together. And I, but I have to focus. I have to make this a priority. My first key to this life together is for me to set my mind on the things above as best I can. I mean I mean, it's a battle. It's hard to practice the presence of God day by day and moment by moment, be present with God and present with whom you're with. And I challenge you to try it. Try it for a minute. Just a minute. We can move on from there later. Try it for a minute. And you will see that there's a lot of distractions going on. Our flesh is strongly entrenched. And you can be very easily distracted. Jesus tells Peter and the other disciples, if anyone wants to, one wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And that's another key to the kingdom. So I would ask you, do you have handles on what that means and what it would look like in your life? That's an important thing to ask. But that's for another sermon at another time. So I'm going to go back to what we're talking about. I'll, I want to close. Because I want to share with you a journey that I'm on. And it has very much to do with what we're talking about. I work at a children's home. And by the way, I'm going to be retiring. I hope as early as June, I'm having some teeth problem. And if I can't afford to pay the teeth bill and retire, I will work a little longer. But if you know anybody that has a four-year degree, that's all you need. I would love to hand that job over to somebody that knows the Lord and sees it as a calling in the ministry. I I wouldn't plan on sharing that. But I work at a children's home. And some of the residents we get are boys whose parents have lost custody of them because of abuse and or neglect. This is often because of drug usage on the parents' part. Part of my job is to supervise visits between these parents and their sons. And during these visits, I really pray and seek to be present with these parents and to show them respect and not judge them. I can see their hearts, and they love their kids. They really do. But they're trapped by bondage bondage that's much bigger than they are. I've seen some of our boys sit on the curb. Up the driveway and cry because their parents promised to visit them that day and they never showed up. It breaks my heart. I was taking one of these boys to court in a neighboring town one day. He began talking to me about all the different drugs he had tried in the past and the ones that he was going to be using again once he gets out of the cottage. And I looked at him and I said, Why? Why, after all that drugs has done to your family, why would you want to do that stuff? Not preaching at him. I just want to know. And he looked at me and he said, Mr. Tommy, there's a lot of stress in life. He may have been 14. There's a lot of stress in life. And I want to be happy. Since he had recently been baptized, I asked him, what about Jesus? And he looked at me and he said, what does Jesus have to do with it? That's a good question. What does Jesus have to do with it? What does Jesus have to do with satisfying our innermost desires in life? I mean, really. I mean I mean he can take care of the going to heaven stuff, you know what I mean? I got car insurance, health insurance, homeowners insurance, and hell insurance. Oh God. I'm ready. What does Jesus have to do with satisfying our innermost desires in life? Do you even know? Do we even know? I'm not going to put it on you. I'll put it on me too. Do we even know what the desires of our heart are? The psalmist says, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. How do I delight myself in the Lord? And what are the desires of my heart? Another sermon sometime later. Since my conversation with that young man, I've been on a search trying to better understand addiction and ways to help people who are trapped there. And one of the most important insights I've gained is that the problem with addiction is that it robs us of our freedom to love. An addicted person is distracted. They cannot be present with a person that they want to love. And this, is, this, this insight has impacted me greatly. There is an intimate relationship between attention and love. We say every Sunday, don't forget to love one another. If you're not attentive to the Lord, you're not going to have His love to be attentive and love someone else. There's an intimate relationship between attention and love. And the reason I mention this is because it it just has so much profound implications in our attempts to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. It requires attention. Not just on Sunday morning. It requires attention to love the Lord, our God, with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And and then to be able to love ourselves properly. And can I tell you something? That's important to love yourself. If you're eating up with a lot of shame and, and law and stuff like that, your neighbor's in a lot of trouble. Because it says to love your neighbor as you love yourself. I can't love anyone else if I can't give them my attention. And there's something else I'm seeing, and you may not agree with this, but that's okay. I'm also seeing that we all have addictions in our own lives in many ways. Someone in this very church said to me a a few weeks ago, they've been watching a show about addiction, they said, I told my husband, I'm sure glad we don't have any addictions. And I said, they didn't know what I'd been reading. I said, anything that distracts your attention from being present with someone can be an addiction. He goes, oh, and I got punched. I said, yeah, we all do. We all do. When I say addictions, I mean rights that we think we still have a right to hold on to. I mean, what rights do you get to hold on to in the kingdom of God? Give me a list and meet me later. I'd like to go over that list with you. Particularly if it's long. But even if it's not, that's something to wrestle with. I'm talking about things that we rely on rather than Jesus to give us comfort, to give us a sense of security, a sense of significance, a sense of identity, a sense of pleasure, a sense of satisfaction, a sense of control, an escape from the mundane aspects of our life. And most of these things are not bad things in and of themselves. They're not. It's part of life. Welcome to the human race. But the grit they have on our lives, and the the ways that they rob us from being attentive to those we love, is a problem. We have flesh patterns that we're blind to, and they rob us of the life we could have by in Christ by His Spirit. The flesh wars against the Spirit. So you can't do the things that you please. We put our faith in what we believe about God and try to make Him fit into a formula we can control. But often we don't seek the face of God to find out what He's saying and doing right now. Because we think we already have Him figured out And we don't. I've come to a conclusion that the only way to help people with addiction is to recognize my own and to deal with them. To repent, change my way of thinking. To seek God's mercy and grace. Which I desperately need. And I know in Hebrews it says, Come boldly before the throne so that you may receive mercy and grace in your time of need. And you will come if you recognize that you have that need. I have a need for deliverance and rescue. And I think so do all of us. But to come, I've got to be desperate. And i got to wonder, when I was a track coach... Cross country coach, I get the boys together. I said, "Boys, you got to want it. If you don't want it, I mean, you need to want it more than you want those girls out there. You need to want it." And those that wanted it succeeded. But I've got to be desperate, and I've got to want it, and I have to be willing to change. I appreciate Phil making that point. You got to be willing to change. Don't worry about somebody else and how God needs to fix them. I can remember as a pastor, sometimes I'd be preaching. I'd see a, a wife over there giving her husband the elbow, giving him the eye like, Now you need this and this. This is for you. That's not the way to do it. It's for you. You don't need to worry about the, the speck in somebody else's eye when you've got a log hanging out of your own. seemed like I heard that somewhere. We have to ask God to show us our addictions, the things that distract our attention from Him and from those we're with. And once He shows us, we need to take Him to the cross. Well, that, that would be a great series of sermons on what took place at the cross and what we can do if we, what it means to take up a cross. Big. It's life changing big. And so you need to, get some, need to grab hold of that. Find somebody that understands it. I'm not saying that's me. I'm just saying find somebody that understands it. Once we get a measure of freedom, I'm not talking about per- perfection. There's nobody that's perfect. We're all imperfect. We are all imperfect. But once we get a measure of freedom. So we can be truly attentive to others in need. We can meet them at the level ground at the foot of the cross. We can help them find the freedom that we ourselves are finding. Paul says that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. It's a good verse. Second Corinthians 3.17 Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. The Holy Spirit is right here. In the middle of this, His church that He's going to build. So we can be as free as we want to be. So I say, let's go for it together. And remember to love one another as best you can. Amen. Thank you.